Andrew asked me to uh, summarize uh, very briefly the current structure of the HIU, of the Human Immunology Unit, and give some idea of the direction of travel of the unit. And, and before doing that, I want to just echo what Mark presented uh, an hour or two ago and summarize some of the highlights of human immunology, why there is such a, a, an excitement in the field. And, and clearly there is a realization that uh, many of, the, especially chronic diseases, have uh, an inflammatory component. Let's think about uh, obesity, type 2 diabetes, uh, atherosclerosis, for in, just to, to name three. Uh, human immunology brought a whole new type of uh, drugs, pharmacology, uh, new antibodies as drugs on, on the market. There is a large range of new tools to monitor the immune response, and we heard a few when Mark gave his talk, and of, of course the success of many prophylactic vaccines, and the HPV vaccine uh, is, uh, is a good example. And I think it's fair to say that we can make the, the bold uh, uh, prediction that uh, this field, the field of human immunology, will in the next decade uh, dominate uh, clinical medicine. I think it's important to, to be firm in, in, in this field. And of course, there will be uh, many exciting opportunities, both in terms of diagnostics and therapeutics. Now, having said all this, there are many uh, gaps, knowledge gaps, that we need to fill in the, in the next uh, few years. And I listed a few questions, which of course are relevant uh, to what we are uh, currently studying. First of all, we are still uh, uh, largely ignorant of the mechanism by which uh, vaccines, successful vaccines, in fact, stimulate uh, protective immunity. We know that they do work, but we don't really know why. There is a lack of effective vaccines for uh, variable uh, pathogens uh, or persistent infections and, and, and cancer, as we know. Uh, we don't know how uh, to how to modulate the, the quality and the longevity of, of memory uh, immune response, which is extremely important in vaccination strategies. And, and uh, equally important, we don't know how to switch off uh, uh, the immune response. Sometimes we can you know how to switch it on, but how to control the resolution phase of inflammation immune response, especially during chronic infections in autoimmunity, is still uh, uh, unclear. And finally, uh, we don't know the, the nature of the uh, susceptibility, individual susceptibility to different disease and how uh, genetic and more recently epigenetic variations control susceptibility to the disease. So clearly there, there is a, a vast range uh, of questions. We are dealing with uh, complex biological systems. And it is important to do what you know, Mark was saying earlier today, to combine a hypothesis-driven research with a more uh, a, a holistic uh, approach, a, a system biological tools. And this is pretty much where we want to go in the direction of travel of the unit. Now, talking about the unit, the unit was uh, founded in uh, 1998 uh, by uh, Andrew McMichael. And as we heard earlier today by John, in fact, the, human, the, the, the HIU has created uh, an extremely exciting uh, environment where uh, scientists and clinical uh, scientists have you know, worked together uh, with diverse skills ranging from uh, cancer to nephrology to neurology. And this ha has had a profound uh, uh, strategic influence, uh, uh, not just within Oxford, but also in the UK and uh, internationally. So what we learned uh, in the last few years uh, is that the uh, polarization of uh, uh, T cells uh, is not only controlled by signals and signaling events uh, which are modulated by dendritic cells, 
And in fact, we now know that uh, polarization of T cells and also B cells is influenced uh, by a whole range of different cells, uh, ranging from innate and adaptive to the stroma. And all this interaction, this web of the interactions, influence uh, uh, the energetic cells and ultimately the polarization, the phenotype, the longevity of B and uh, T lymphocytes. And the challenge, challenge that uh, started with, with Andrew and now uh, I'm continuing, is to make sure that from a T-cell-centric view of the immune response, uh, we will have a more holistic, more uh, integrated uh, view of the immune response, where we study T and B cell responses in the context of all the parameters that can uh, influence uh, the, uh, the function of the adaptive antigen-specific immune response. And in fact, the adaptive antigen-specific immune response remains uh, uh, moving forward uh, the central piece of the interest uh, of the HIU, of the Human Immunology Unit, the same way that he was when, when Andrew was the director. And, and, and importantly, we will study the antigen-specific immune response in the context of uh, inflammation, trying to understand how in the microenvironment inflammation, both acute and chronic inflammation, can have an effect, uh, positive or negative, uh, on uh, the quality of antigen-specific T and B cell responses. And we will do this uh, uh, using the three uh, research programs, really, that uh, uh, using the foundations that uh, Andrews laid in the last few years, basically infection immunity, cancer immunity, and autoimmunity trying to understand how during chronic viral infection the persistence of virus can uh, hamper uh, uh, um, the quality of uh, adaptive immune response, trying to understand how tumor cells can uh, switch off and, and suppress tumor-specific uh, immune responses, and finally try to understand and dissect how we can break peripheral tolerance uh, uh, during uh, uh, autoimmunity. So this remains the three lines of, of research of the unit. And what are the questions that we want to answer, we're trying to answer? I'll, I'll list it here. We want to study, and, and this is the, the environment, it's becoming a key um, um, important aspect of what the unit will be doing, how the local microenvironment can modulate antigen-specific immune response. And as I said, this is relevant for the immunity, cancer, and, and chronic infections how epigenetic uh, variations can control the quality of the uh, immunological response, immunological mediated uh, diseases. We are studying how uh, uh, patterns of gene expression, signatures, uh, let's say in tumors for instance, can uh, uh, modulate the immune response and how different adjuvants can modulate the uh, pattern of uh, gene uh, expression. Um, as I mentioned before, how tumor gene signature predicts uh, the uh, vaccine responses. And finally, how, um, um, and this is probably relevant more to my own research program, how tumors can hamper tumor-specific immune response and whether we can relieve this uh, tumor-specific uh, suppressive activity. So the way that I'm trying to address all these questions is by setting up a, a, a group, a team, um, that I described here in, in a matrix uh, format, where we have programs which are horizontals and, and, and cross-cutting verticals uh, programs that uh, uh, provide support to many different uh, research programs in the unit. And I separate them here, so we have uh, several horizontal programs. Uh, I, I um, um, 
I'm developing a program uh, on tumor immunology, mainly focused on melanoma. Uh, David Jackson on lymphatics uh, and, and, and trafficking of cells, uh, including tumor cells, uh, through the lymphatics into the lymph node. As you know, Lars Fugger, if you had before, is, is developing a, a very powerful program on uh, uh, MS. Graham Ogg on cutaneous uh, immunology, trying to understand the mechanisms by which uh, a, a skin can uh, uh, protect from invasion of, of different viruses or pathogens. Uh, uh, Alison, uh, who also is part of Fiona Power's uh, translational gastro unit, uh, is providing a sort of bridge between the HIU, the human immunology unit, and the translational gastro unit. And, uh, is developing a program on uh, inflammatory bowel disease. Tao Dong uh, is started a new program on HBV and hepatocellular carcinoma, and I will talk about this in a minute. Katia on cell death and autophagy, uh, Richard Cornell, uh, as we had before, in fact, on rare genetic disorders, and I have a, a slide about this. And more recently, uh, Hal Drake-Smith, who is continuing his interest in uh, the effect of iron metabolism and uh, uh, the effect of immune response, trying to fill a gap between uh, um, nutritional stress uh, and, in a sense, nutrients and uh, uh, adaptive antigen-specific uh, uh, immune response. So these are the horizontal programs. The vertical, the cross-cutting themes are, are, are led by uh, Simon Davis uh, uh, on T-cell biology, trying to dissect the signaling events downstream of different receptors, including, of course, the T-cell receptors. And, and more recently, um, um, uh, Jan Ray Winkle, uh, who uh, comes from uh, Caetano Reises, who's at the Lando Research Institute, who is uh, developing a very exciting program on intracellular um, uh, nucleic acid uh, uh, receptors. And again, what he's doing in the unit provides uh, links and, and support to many research programs uh, across the unit. In addition to these uh, um, themes, uh, there are two additional themes which are very important. Uh, one uh, is the uh, uh, an imaging program, and I recently recruited Christian Egeling from uh, the, the Max Planck Institute, uh, from Stefan Hell, he's uh, the, the person who invented uh, uh, STED, high-resolution uh, microscopes, and Christian will be leading uh, an imaging facility in the WIM, so it will be a WIM-wide uh, imaging facility providing uh, uh, support uh, for, for many research programs across the WIM, and in particular trying to uh, create in the WIM a hub for high-resolution imaging, uh, Oxford-wide hub. And, and I want also to mention uh, bioinformatics, which across the WIM will become, uh, uh, well, still is, but will be strengthened even further. And, and going back to what I was mentioning about uh, uh, Richard Connell, uh, a program, we're very keen to continue to uh, study uh, rare mutations uh, in, uh, in, in families, so looking for rare Mendelian variants in humans, to really to generate testable hypotheses and move from uh, the phenotype, from interesting patients, to the genetics and back to the phenotype, trying to dissect uh, uh, the mechanics. A bit like what we heard this morning by Mike Leonardo, pretty much inspired, in line with what he uh, presented. Now, the reason why 
I'm confident that we will be able to deliver on all these fronts is because we have a, a, a blend, a mixture of uh, basic scientists and clinicians. In fact, uh, there are five uh, uh, groups uh, within the unit that have honorary or, or consultant uh, contracts uh, in the NHS, uh, ranging from medical oncology to nephrology, dermatology, clinical neurology, and uh, gastroenterology. And also because we have a very broad um, range of uh, an interest that uh, if, you, if you, this is a progression from a basic research all the way to the clinic to phase one clinical trials and you know there are several groups inc including my own group that really are going all the way from from basic this is basic all the way to phase one clinical trials and we have groups that probably are more in this range. But I think the, the mixture of, of having uh, people that are all the way in the clinic to people that are more interested in the basic, I think is what makes the, the, the units uh, particularly viable, energetic and, and uh, exciting. And finally, before I move on, I want to stress uh, uh, Collaboration with China, which we, of course we heard Xiaoning, uh, we've seen this picture. This collaboration with China started with, uh, with Andrew, in fact, uh, and, and together with Xiaoning, uh, with George, uh, who's sitting somewhere here, here he is, and, and, and Tao. Um, this is very powerful, e extremely important strategically f for the unit uh, because we will uh, strengthen collaboration with several hospitals uh, in China. And in fact, last year I signed an agreement with one of the largest infectious disease hospitals in Beijing, the, the Yuhan uh, Hospital. This is uh, uh, Director Li. And, and this uh, agreement uh, um, uh, will allow the unit to, to have access uh, to uh, patient samples, uh, to, to collaborations, and in fact Tao has her own lab uh, in uh, the Yuhan Hospital. And, and this is uh, a strategically an aspect that I'm very keen to um, develop further. And now this plan has been uh, um, endorsed somehow at the highest levels. Here we have, we have John Bell, where is he? Oh, here he is. Uh, and uh, this is the Minister of Health, uh, uh, Zhu Chen, with whom we had uh, a dinner um, last year, is that right? <laughs> so clearly we, we have um, um, endorsement at the highest level. So talking about uh, uh, what the sort of science that we are trying to do, if we go back to this picture, I want to tell you just a story that's coming from, from my lab. We're very excited. Really shows the interaction between uh, the innate and adaptive uh, immune response, and in particular, the interaction between two populations of, or three populations of cells, um, T cells and NK T cells, which, as you know, are um, CD1D uh, restricted, uh, and, uh, and neutrophils. Now, in the last few years, uh, has uh, emerged that neutrophils have a degree of uh, plasticity that was not previously anticipated, uh, and that they can uh, secrete both pro and anti inflammatory cytokines, and this has been shown both in mouth models and humans, and this has a profound effect on the uh, adaptive antigen-specific immune response. So we, we decided to look into this, um, and, and uh, in particular in the context of melanoma. And, and in fact, this study, uh, this work was done by a very talented postdoc uh, in, in my lab, Carmen De Santo. And the observation that she made that in melanoma patients, uh, a large proportion of neutrophils straight from the blood of patients uh, have the ability to secrete spontaneously without any uh, in vitro stimulation relatively large amounts uh, of uh, um, IL-10. 
and uh, unlike what you see in uh, healthy donors. Uh, and, and the result, which was of course uh, extremely uh, exciting, is that uh, when you add this population of uh, neutrophils, <coughs> as defined by the expression of these two markers, CD11, B, CD15 cells, to T cells in vitro, and uh, you try to expand tumor-specific T cells, in this case was melanin-specific T cells, it became clear that the presence or absence of these cells made a big difference uh, for the frequency of melanase-specific T cells, as you can see here. This is in the absence of uh, CD11B, CD15 positive cells, and, and this is uh, uh, in the presence, and you can see the frequency of uh, tumor-specific T cells drops quite significantly. But the second aspect of this result, which I think is worth mentioning, is that when uh, uh, this experiment was done in the presence of IL-10 receptor blocking antibody, we could rescue the expansion of melanase-specific T cells, strongly suggesting that the IL-10 secreted by these cells was uh, responsible for uh, uh, having a profound effect on the ability of melanoma-specific T cells to expand uh, in vitro. And in fact, there was a quite striking correlation between the staging of the disease, these are patients in stage two, and these are patients in stage three and four, the frequency in vivo of CD11B, CD15 positive cells, and their ability to inhibit in vivo MLR proliferation. And in patients with advanced cancer, stage three and four, who had, uh, who had a much higher frequency of this population of cells, there was uh, a very profound inhibition of the MLR as compared to patients in stage two or healthy donors. So it appeared to be a correlation between staging of the disease, uh, frequency of these cells, and ability to inhibit uh, T cell proliferation. The striking observation that uh, we made is that um, a correlation um, that, that this uh, expansion uh, in vivo of uh, CD11B, CD15 positive cells correlated with uh, uh, levels uh, in the plasma of uh, uh, the acute phase response protein serum amyloid A. And in fact, we have here uh, patients in different stages, four, three, and two, and, and each dot represents uh, a different patient. And, and these are the level. You can clearly see that uh, the more advanced was the disease, the higher was the level of uh, a serum amyloid. And this serum amyloid was not just coming from the liver, as we all know, but also from, um, directly from uh, um, uh, the, the primary tumor and metastatic tumors, we analyzed more than uh, 150 uh, tissue arrays, which we stained uh, with uh, uh, serum amyloid-specific antibodies, and it became clear that both melanomas, more importantly, tumor-associated macrophages, what we call TAM, were positive uh, for uh, serum amyloid. In other words, we're making serum amyloid. So we think this is a direct uh, um, a strategy uh, that uh, tumors use, and in fact, since we published this paper, many other papers have shown that other tumor types have also uh, abundant levels of, of serum amyloid. And again, there was a correlation, a striking correlation between the frequency of uh, this population of cells, CD11B, CD15, and the plasma levels of uh, serum amyloid. Uh, this is uh, shown by this slide. So to cut a long story short, we show that uh, a serum amyloid binds to a, a receptor called the formil peptide receptor 2, and, and, by, and, and the binding of serum amyloid to this receptor is what controls uh, the uh, ability of uh, um, neutrophils uh, and, and 
other cells also which are FPR2 positive, such as monocytes, to make uh, IL-10. And when we looked thoroughly at uh, this uh, population of cells, uh, it became clear that, uh, well, shown here, if you purify neutrophils with two different protocols, as shown here, and you stain, you have CD14, uh, of course, a marker for uh, uh, monocytes, and CD15 uh, on the y-axis, you can see that you can reach uh, a, a very high uh, purity of cells. And when you treat these cells uh, with serum amyloid, you can show that both by ELISA by qPCR and by Elispot, you can detect the presence of IL-10, and this is the percentage of cells that were actually making IL-10, which is almost 100%, clearly demonstrating that this IL-10 is released by the bulk of these CD14 negative, CD15 positive cells. So finally, these are the last two data slides. We demonstrated that this ability of neutrophils to secrete um, IL-10 can be modulated uh, uh, both in vitro with human cells and in vivo in, in mouse models by uh, facilitating the interaction with uh, NK T cells and that this interaction has a profound effect on antigen-specific immune responses. And um, just as an as a, uh, example, if you add together in KT cells with this population of neutrophils, you can see that uh, according to the ratio between these two populations, you can see a reduction in the amount of IL-10 uh, secreted by neutrophils when you increase the, the, uh, the ratio. And while IL-10 goes down, so while an anti-inflammatory uh, an anti cytokine goes down, IL-12 goes up, suggesting uh, possibly that the, the cells are, are switching or there, there are two different populations of cells, something which are now trying to dissect, uh, but clearly demonstrating that the interaction with NKT cells in vitro can uh, modulate uh, the overall cytokine profile secreted by uh, neutrophils. And, and this is important in matters because uh, if you do this sort of experiment where you add together NKT cells together with neutrophils and T cells, the presence or absence of NKT cells determines whether you can expand or not expand uh, um, melanase-specific T cells, tumor-specific T cells. So the conclusion from this uh, uh, experiment is that um, in future vaccine clinical trials in melanoma patients, we should uh, really uh, take into account the presence of this population of, uh, uh, of, of IL-10 and immunosuppressive activity. And, and harnessing NKT cells in vitro should be considered in future clinical trials, which is something that we are planning to do. Um, finally, I have two slides, and, and then I'm done. I want to just to stress that uh, the Human Immunology Unit uh, is uh, a, a pillar of the Oxford Immunology Program, but the Oxford Immunology Program is much larger than uh, the HIU, and in fact, I listed here all the other institutes and, uh, and, and, and groups that are present in Oxford, and, and it's very important uh, to continue to do what we have been doing uh, for the last uh, 20 years to collaborate and to, to uh, strike uh, collaborations between uh, uh, different groups. And I want to add to this that uh, one of the aims uh, that uh, uh, I have uh, and Doug 
Higgs and I have is to foster even further the collaboration between the two units uh, in, in, the H in the WIM, between the human immunology unit and the molecular hematology units. And we, are, we have already started several collaborative programs that I'm sure will uh, continue even further uh, in the future. And as a last slide, uh, I want to thank Andrew. <laughs> uh, because he really made all this possible. And, and as we all said throughout the day today, he made uh, not just the HIU, but the WIM, and everything that he touched fun and productive, a productive place uh, to work. And, and my um, commitment uh, is really to continue his uh, uh, legacy, his, uh, and, and really the, the principles that uh, we want to apply first class basic immunology to uh, the important uh, clinical disease. Thank you, Andrew, again. <laughs>